There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. It was one of those episodes where Paul really enjoyed saying the word slack a lot. He did. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I did. Everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bake Down Podcast. This season we will be going back to series four, that is the lovely Howard's season. And uh, today we are doing dessert week. I was about to say custard week because custard did feature quite a lot in this one, but uh, desserts week. Now, Howard, before we started recording, you said that you didn't really like watching this episode back. Why was that? For a start, I think right from the beginning, I look a bit stressed. And uh, so I don't think I went into the tent feeling absolutely confident. And um, I'll tell you what else put me off was the fact that, you know, when they announce what the signature bake is going to be, and obviously you've done the, the prep and come up with your recipe and everything, and they they mention about, and Paul and Mary would like distinct layers in this trifle. And you think, that wasn't in the brief. That wasn't oh, really? No, and I've checked. I've checked this morning, and I remember when they when they were saying that. I'm thinking, has everybody else got a different brief to me? So literally, I was stressed from the first. Oh no! From the red girl. Yeah. And that's something you got picked up on, uh, wasn't it, with the layers? Yes. <laughs> I, I I went to one of the producers and I said, "This is this wasn't in the brief." Oh, don't worry, don't worry about it. It's like yes. Why did you not put it in the brief? <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that is that is stressful. And, you know, quite appropriately, it happened on dessert week. Because, as we know, desserts is stressed backwards, <laughs> as we discovered last year. So, Dan and Jane, what did you think of this week? Obviously, we've got our trifles, our creme anglaise, and then our petit fours at the end. What did you guys think? I thought there was an awful lot of baking involved. And um, I was a little bit frustrated that we skipped over it so much. 
So I'm pleased that they're going to be less bakers next week. So maybe we can see a little bit more of the detail. But yeah, I thought there was an awful lot of custard. And as you said at the start of the show, and I'm sure <laughs> we'll get into that. But I thought that actually the Petit Fours was really impressive. And I wish there'd been more time devoted to seeing a bit more detail about the Petit Fours because some of them looked wonderful. I just wish we could have seen a, a little bit more of them. Yeah, I, I think we've said that, haven't we, the last couple of episodes of the podcast that we haven't had enough detail about what goes on in the bakes because I will get to the showstopper I know but I mean I, I thought has Rob left I haven't heard Rob mentioned at all in the showstopper until he went up for judging so I don't know how they managed to squeeze more information in in current series because they have just the same amount of time really yeah, we're definitely lacking in detail, aren't we? I think that's my frustration. Another detail thing this time, and I've written it all over my front sheet of this. It's like, how long did they have for the signature? Because they went, right, when you've got to do this, we've got some lovely defined layers on your marks, get set bacon. I went, well, hold on a moment, how long have they got? And then you you cut to Paul going, oh, you know, there's, this is all about multitasking under huge time pressure. They've got to organise the time. And I'm thinking, well, that's all very well, but I have no idea what that time is until Sue says somewhere in the sort of voiceover they have three hours so I you know it, it left me it left me quite stressed Howard that I didn't know how long you had <laughs> oh goodness me and of course we have the infamous custard gate incident oh, which is yes. Howard I think your hat trick of things going wrong in the weeks we had being cut with knives I mean to yourself not like somebody was they're doing it to you. Um, <laughs> we had elbowing your muffins, and of course, we have custard gate. So, <sighs> and Howard was telling us just before we started recording the podcast that um, Deborah actually deliberately stole your custard, didn't she? Oh, Howard? you didn't say that. You just keep quiet. Poor Deborah, ignore him if you're listening. Ignore him. We'll, we'll kick straight off then and we will start with our signature challenge. And as we said, we wanted a trifle this week with any combination of ladyfingers or sponge or biscuit base, jam, custard, jelly. There were quite a lot of variation. Um, Howard, I believe quite early on you said that you didn't like jelly in a trifle. Is that something you still agree with now? It is. Although I have to say, since I've discovered vegan jelly, agar, I don't mind a bit if it's not like a huge amount of jelly. If it's like a nice thin layer. I think when we did the Platinum Jubilee Trifle class last year, we put some jelly in there. But I quite like it. I quite like those thin, distinct layers of, <laughs> of jelly rather than a huge wadge of it, personally. Do you remember we used to get a Bird's Instant Trifle? Dan, you're probably too young for Bird's I Instant don't. Trifle. Oh. It, it was good. It was ghastly. My, my mother used to make it all the time. <laughs> and you'd get these dried up bits of sponge because, of course, it was long life shelf food. You've got this awful jelly that you just poured some hot water on. It was really horrid jelly. Somehow custard and then this really fake, like almost like angel delight topping and then sprinkles. I mean, it was layer after layer of artificial flavours. Jane, was that during the war? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, there wasn't. Uh, no, uh, we were so funny. We were saying how people are portrayed differently in the editing in the series, and how 
Dan didn't think he got a fair edit. <laughs> he really is horrible, dear listener. He really is. <laughs> it's true. I, I can't deny it. No, but that sounds positively bleak, Jane. I don't think I missed out on anything Oh, there. you really didn't. It was positively luminous as well. You had a very red jelly. Well, we, we quite liked it because it was better than most of my mother's cooking. But Wow. <laughs> it's... Uh, I remember that it was just really fake and uh, came in a packet. Bird's Instant Trifle or something it was called. Did everyone do better than that then, Jane, at least, do you think? Uh, oh, everybody did so much better than that. Howard, let's come straight on to Custard Gate, the big one, the thing we often talk about a lot in classes as well. It was very obvious from the, well, from the edit at least, that Deborah was incredibly guilty. And I just loved the way you wanted a spoon later on and she was running around like, I can get your spoon out, I can get you the spoon. It was like, bless her heart. It was awful. And I think you can see part of the panic on me is literally because I'm running out of time to finish off the, this trifle. And I have to say, a good chunk of that time was lost with getting Deborah to come up to me and apologise so they could do that filming, that, that apology. And uh, we did that several times. I'm thinking, it's OK, just let's let's draw a veil over this and get on with it. But no. So in the end, I'm whacking that cream on the top when I'd have probably piped it or something if I'd uh, had time. Oh, that's really frustrating. <laughs> well, as do you like to say, Howard, at least it made good TV. Well, we all remember it. I, I mean, everybody remembers it. Just yeah. incidentally, you can. Sorry, birds. Whoever is, makes birds trifle. <laughs> I'm sure it's much nicer it's than it used Nestle to be. It's probably Nestle or somebody like that. Yes, it's, I'm sure it's a lot nicer than it was 30 years ago. I'm sure it was. But yes, you can still get it in all your favourite supermarkets in the UK. Oh. Well, this is a good time to mention that this episode is actually sponsored by Birds. <laughs> <laughs> Spinks Custard featured majorly in this episode, uh, in the trifle as well as in the Il Flotant, in the technical. But Dan, whose trifle really stood out for you in this challenge? Because we had so many nice flavours. Well, I mean, in terms of the trifle that I would particularly like to eat myself, I would say probably whoever did the pina colada one. It's Christine. Was that Christine? Yeah. So I, I probably that one would have appealed to my taste buds the most. I think Ruby's probably stood out the most in terms of the design with the sort of the palm trees pressed up against the side of the glass. And that's the kind of the thing that I would never have thought of, would never have attempted. I would assume it would have failed spectacularly. And it worked absolutely beautifully for her. So I thought that was very impressive. I thought the ones that made me a little bit sad were where they had too much custard and cream and they lost some of the textural elements because texture is something that's so often overlooked in all baking and you need a contrast of textures, otherwise it becomes quite boring. Jane is furiously shaking her head. Go on, Jane. No, I disagree with the trifle. Uh, with most things, yes, you want a little bit of crunch and you want a bit of soft and you want a bit of texture, but the trifle isn't. It cuts through without... Uh, hitting anything that's hard you want the different flavors and they've got to be thick enough so you've got to know you're eating a sponge layer but I think a trifle is not about textures I think Mary Berry said that as well I think she said they've got to all be sort of very similar textures by the time you go through so you don't want your sponge disintegrating but you want it almost as soft as your custard you know, if you're going to put jelly in, you don't want it to be a hard, bouncy layer. I think maybe you're just not, not to be trifled with, Dan. I think you're... Right, stop it right now. 
I have to say, Jane, I've never disagreed with you more. I'm sorry. I think I really think that you need some contrast. I think you need a little like a little bit of crunch, a little bit of, you know, stodge, a little bit of jelly. I think you need the contrast in textures. That's but that's my preference. And maybe you're a master trifle maker and I um just like what I like. But um no, I I I I'm not convinced by your argument, Jane. I'm so sorry. Well, that's fair. that's fair enough. I might put some flaked almonds on the top would give you a little bit of crunch, but I wouldn't put anything crunchy all the way through. And we've seen it in other things. We've seen it, I don't know whether in these, this series or some of the other cooking programs, that they sort of get halfway down and they hit a, a layer of fouillotine or something and you go, and you can't get your spoon through it anymore. No, I think, I think trifles want one on its own, really. Is. What do you think, Howard? I've got a bit of a texture in my cake. So I've got macadamia nuts uh, adding a bit of crunch in the bottom, as well as candied macadamia nuts on top. I don't know why I left the skin on the apples. Yes, yeah, like, I, 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 I don't think that was a good texture. For some reason, <laughs> your custard was all watery, Howard. What was that about? Yeah, yeah it wasn't that <laughs> oh, I'm sorry, but... It was one of those episodes where Paul really enjoyed saying the word slack a lot. He did. He really did. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit slack. It's a bit slack. <laughs> Howard, you did get uh, praise for being the only person to do a creme anglaise and not use corn flour. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, that was, that, that was brave. I wouldn't have done that. No, I wouldn't have done it either. Again, it was uh, when I'd done trifles before. Always used kind of Nigella Lawson's custard recipe, which is a, a creme anglaise. So I thought, oh, this is just the way to go. And then turned up and found out that everybody else is putting corn flour in their custard. I thought, oh, maybe that wasn't the way to go. But... No, it just stabilises it, doesn't it, a bit. And I think in classes, I always say to people I had a bit of cornflour because it gets you out of having that disaster where it all turns to mush or lumpy or something or doesn't thicken. It may not be technically correct, but actually it works perfectly all right. So Paul looked as though you were committing an ultimate sin if you were putting cornflour in your custard. Yeah, when he was talking to Mark, I think it was Mark, and he said, oh yeah, I'm whisking eggs and sugar, then I'm going to add cornflour. And Paul sort of said, oh, you're going to do it like that? And I'm like, what other way would you do it? What? Yeah, he said, not the method I would do. I mean, well, you're not doing it. Well, I'd, I'd whisk them together just using a balloon whisk. I wouldn't probably put it in the mixer to... No, no is that what he did? I just wouldn't put it in the mixer. Yeah, he'd got them in the, in the mixer, which I thought... That's a bit of a waste of time, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but Paul is, is really the king of coming up to somebody and going, what's that? What are you doing that for? And somebody goes, well, try to justify himself. And he goes, okay. <laughs> I know. He just wants to see if you'll bite. Like, I remember, I don't remember yeah. what the exact thing was, but on my season, he came up to me and goes, and do you think those flavours will balance each other? And I said, yes. And he went, all right. <laughs> I just left, you know. I think he just, he's just trying to see what, if he can rile you up and get a moment sometimes, I think. He's like, will that be enough time to prove it? You're like, yeah, it will. It will, yeah. Mark did stand back up to Paul with his macarons in the showstopper. Well, half an hour is long enough. It wasn't, but he was strong and wrong. <laughs> Good for him for saying, yes, this is my method. This is how I'm going to do it. Thank you, Paul. I know we're not at the showstopper yet, but it could have been. Half an hour could have been long enough. You know, mm. it really depends on the atmospheric conditions in the tent. It could have been perfectly all right in his own kitchen. It depends on the weather. 
a macaron can take 20 to 25 minutes in my kitchen or it can take an hour and a half in my kitchen before it's ready to go in the oven. So, you know, there was no real right or wrong answer to that question. It's just that it turned out that Paul was right in the end. Yes, annoyingly so. But was anyone else like chewing their fists in anger that they kept calling them macaroons? Yes. Oh. Yeah, I think Paul was the only one who called them macarons. Only at the they? end, only right yeah. at the end when oh, he came to judging, oh, all right. the way through the episode, he was, yeah. he was calling them macaroons. And... and in the writing that describes, I can't remember whose it was, but so-and-so's macaroon, they actually spelt them macaroons as well. I suppose. And I got, I actually made a spelling mistake on my Instagram when I was on the show shortly after, it must have been after the show, and I, spelt, I accidentally spelt macarons macaroons. And somebody tore it <laughs> off the strip. It was my responsibility oh. as this well-known baker to make sure that people learnt how to spell it correctly. And I went, oh, sorry. <laughs> people got too much time on their hands. <laughs> yes, we're all having a bit of a hump today, aren't we? Well, going back to our signature challenge, yes, Ruby and Christine were definitely two people who were doing really well. Oh, and Howard, and Howard was lovely. <laughs> of course it was. It was Actually, it's a lovely trifle. If it's done correctly, (laughs) and I have done it where I've managed to get it so that the holes in the apples, the kind of O shapes around the side, line up and the custard sits nicely just behind them. Looks good. Oh, yeah. To be honest, it's the flavour sounded delicious. It just the presentation didn't wow me, Howard. That's all. Yeah. No. No. But I think if the custard hadn't been so runny, mm. the layers might have been more defined. Or if you do, if you put the custard in and leave it overnight in the fridge, so it firms up really nicely before you put any other layers on, that works too. Ah, we, we, that works too. That. Yeah, not in three hours, though. Sadly. But didn't you think Becker's, Becker's, I mean, I didn't fancy it because I'm not a great ginger and all that sort of, blah, and I didn't want a jelly in mine, but I thought it looked stunning. Yeah. yeah. Really defined layers. It looked beautiful. So I thought well, there were lots of good ones there, a lot of nice flavours as well. Oh, one thing, can somebody ask me? Ali's was called a coconut raspberry and lemon meringue or something. Where was the meringue? Because he put macarons on the top. I didn't see the meringue. Was it like an eaten mess type thing? Maybe. I don't know. I think he did do some meringues, but yeah. Did he yeah. with it on the top? There was a lot going on in Alice, wasn't there? Mm. Yeah. I think his only yeah. criticism was he'd slightly overfilled it. So possibly there was meringue there. We just didn't get to see it in the edit. Mm. Maybe. Becca was whisking her custard constantly with her balloon whisk. Not a problem. Yeah, everybody must whisk their custard all the time once it's in the pan. But and a metal balloon whisk on a non-stick pan, oh, I was no. thinking, oh, is there, is there going to be lots of Teflon floating around in that custard? It's all right. It's not her pan, is it? <laughs> oh, somebody had to eat it, though. So, you know, if you're doing it at home, either use a wooden spoon, a plastic balloon whisk, or... A stainless steel pan, yeah. A stainless steel pan, which is what I tend to use all the time it just it just made me feel a bit you know unwell i'm the same i watched a french chef once make an omelette on a teflon pan with a metal fork and it just like yeah oh. yeah it just i was like oh. so yeah no i feel your pain yeah, exactly <laughs> can, can i just apologize as well for something else that might have made people feel ill <laughs> uh, the section how it is a keen jogger 
Yes. Which, <laughs> again, why we had to see that instead of uh, a bit more detail about people's breaks, I, I can only apologise. Yeah. yeah. I thought your knees were wonderful. Yeah, hard. I was slightly confused about why we were looking at your knees and your head was cut off the top of the screen. Odd <laughs> <laughs> directorial choice. Yes, <clears throat> even in week three, there just seemed to be a lot of backstory on people and their lives. And it's like, we, we know them by now. We've seen them. Let's see. I mean, like, there were so many people who we didn't see any of their bakes at all. I don't remember seeing anything of Ali's showstopper at all until it got judged and then it was gone. We had lots of nice flavours going through our trifles. We had a lot of coconut, uh, a lot of ginger, a lot of mango. And of course, Christine's pina colada trifle was uh, much enjoyed by Paul because let's not forget everybody, Paul has had a pina colada on every continent, so he knows what they taste like. Even Antarctica. <laughs> Wouldn't surprise me. So that was our signature challenge. Again, a lot of custard's too thick, custard's too thin. There's too much of it. There's too much cream. Can you? Can I think Glenn said at the end, you can't really have too much when it comes to a trifle. It is like a beautiful big pile of pudding. That's the point of a trifle. So I, dis I disagree with Paul there. So our technical challenge this week was Mary Berry's own recipe for Ile Flotant, which is, as, as any of you who came to our class last year for our bake-along, will know that it's beautiful poached meringue in uh, on a sea of custard with a little bit of nice spun sugar over the top. Now, Jane, don't worry, because we did know how long they had for this one. It was an hour and a half. So we know from the get-go, so that's good. Howard, how did you feel about the eel flotant going into this challenge? I'd never heard of eel flotant. And Mark and I afterwards said, when, when they first announced, and we want you to make eel flotant, and we both thought she, they were going to say eel pies or something yeah. like that. It's like, <laughs> hey, what, what is eel flotant? But yes, actually an hour and a half is, is plenty of time to do it. Because I did it twice. So. <laughs> true. Yes, true. I've never made them. Actually, I'm not sure I've ever eaten them, to be honest. Um, I think there's something I would like. like. How long do you cook them for, Howard? What I've discovered since is literally sort of like a minute or so on each side. And it is possible to flip them over. But they don't, they don't need very long at all. Do they not? So actually, it's loads of time. To, to An hour and a half is loads of time. And the, I think part of the problem with doing it the way that we did it in the technical is that because you're poaching, it, uh, poaching the meringues in the milk, you've then got to use that milk to make the custard. Whereas when we did the class last year, we made the custard first and then just poached them in water which is a lot easier to do because it gives you the opportunity for your custard to cool down because it should actually be a cold custard that they, they sit on as well. I think I'm just looking at one from the wonderful Nigel Slater. For those of you who don't know Nigel Slater, look him up. He's fantastic. He does the custard separately and then he then separately poaches them in milk. I don't know what then happens with that milk. I presume he uses it for something else, but he then cooks it in um, in milk. So there are lots of different ways of doing it. I mean, they are lovely. These ones have got some flaked almonds on the top as well. So, Well, I have to say, 
You're all utterly pretentious. They're floating islands. We're floating islands. Yes. Oh, sorry. We're French, are we now? Genoese or Genois? <laughs> Raise your hand if you've been personally victimised by Dan Beasley Harley. <laughs> Everybody raises hand. Thank you. Lovely. So, Dan, what did you think of the floating island challenge? Right. You know, they're just to me, they're just floating islands. Um, they're not something I make because, to be honest, I just think they're a bit of a faff. But they are delicious. I mean, nothing wrong with them, but they're just just a bit of a faff, to be honest. I've only made them once just to prove that I could make them, and then that was that was the first and last time I've done them. But yeah, I thought it was a good challenge. I thought it tested a lot of skills. I think the thing where you got the biggest variation on, apart from people's inability to quinell things, of course, was in the sponge sugar. I thought there was a great deal of variety there. And that's actually something that on paper sounds incredibly easy. And in reality, is actually very difficult because you have to obviously cook the caramel correctly and then you have to get the caramel to the right consistency. I find it best if you let, allow the caramel to cool a little bit first before you start flicking it about because otherwise you, you don't get the strands. You just sort of end up spraying it over your kitchen and making a, a terrible mess. I thought that was, that was quite interesting and only a couple of people managed to get those right. But weirdly, didn't seem to um, correlate with the people who got their floating islands right. So um, it was a, a real mixed bag when it came to the judging, wasn't it? I think it was a bit all over the place. Mm. Are you very, very happy to be middle of the pack, were you, Howard? Relieved, yeah, because I wouldn't have been middle of the pack with that first effort. No, your first um, round was dreadful. It was awful. <laughs> I think I think I've got it into my... I don't know why, but I think I've got it into my head. I'm actually quite good at poaching eggs. And I, I think... I thought, ooh, maybe it needs to be a really thin meringue <laughs> so that when you poach it, it's like a poached egg. Yeah, I see it. Oh, okay. I mean, that bad logic. <laughs> <laughs> so, Howard, moving moving forward to the future, if anybody wanted to make floating islands, what tips can you give them? I, well, I think the tip is... Uh, definitely that you do the custard separately from the poaching liquid i think it's it's a revelation to just poach them in in water because they don't actually absorb much flavor if any flavor from the milk the, my other tip as well is i find that that combination of the custard and the meringue and the sponge sugar is just a little bit sweet for me so I like something like a, a sort of coolie, a blackberry coolie or something mm. to go with it, just to give it that that bit of a tang as well. Just out of curiosity, what's the sugar ratio in the meringue? Is it like one to one or what is it? I do, do you know, I can't remember what we did as, as the sugar ratio in the meringue. I don't think it's as high as it would normally be in a, yeah, in, a, in an ordinary kind of French meringue, so... I've got here, on my recipe here, yeah, well, I'm looking at the Nigel Slater's again, four free-range egg whites, which it doesn't say whether they're large or, or extra large. So say 30 grams, and, and to that it's 100 grams of caster. So it's, you know, it's a little bit one less to one. than yeah. Um, equal. Yeah, a little bit ah, less than one to one. Okay, that, that makes sense, because it did look like quite a firm meringue when it was cooked, didn't it? Yeah. Mm. It, it sliced, mm. right? It didn't sort of squidge, did it? No, it's marshmallowy, isn't it? Yeah. Mm, I think so. And they're saying here to shape it more easily. So this is me with no experience of having made these at all, which never stopped me talking about anything ever. <laughs> same, um, same. <laughs> quite happy to talk about things I don't know about. That if you run the serving spoon under the tap, so you've got a bit of water on ah. the serving spoon, you can actually form them 
that more makes easily. Sense. So there we go. Another way of doing it is I use an ice cream scoop. You know, one of the manual ice cream mm. scoops. Oh, yes. That gives you a nice dome-shaped floating island. Nice. That worked beautifully in the class last year, didn't it, Howard? Really smooth, really nice. Or you could go down Ali's route of uh, sort of sculpting it after it was poached. That's <laughs> yeah, with a knife. anything about it. I was like, go on, Ali, good man. Bless <laughs> him. Can I just make one comment, actually? It was really good. If you saw Mark, who this is a really, really good discipline for anybody separating eggs, actually. He was separating his eggs and the whites were just all going into the same bowl. He was, I think, separating it into the bowl with the rest of his whites and then got some egg yolk into it. It's always a good idea to have three bowls on the go when you're separating eggs. One to take your egg white that you're currently cracking and then a bowl to put the really good egg whites in. So what could happen is you could separate all your eggs beautifully, couldn't you, until you get to the last one, dump a broken egg yolk into it, and then you've got to throw all that egg white away. So if you used sort of a, a separate bowl to crack your one egg into and then divide it into the bowls that you're keeping the yolks and the whites, if you muck up one egg then, you're not going to wreck, wreck the whole lot, which what Mark had... To, he had to chuck his way and start again, didn't he? Because he got egg yolk into his egg white. And those of us who love making meringue know that there are a couple of things that are death to meringue, and that's egg yolk in your whites and grease, of course. Mark had a lovely meringue in the end, and some of it obviously ended up in his eyebrows. <laughs> um, and I was playing a fun game in the tent, which is where is the meringue? It's a little like, game of where's Waldo. And um, there was all down people's fronts. It was in their eyebrows, in their hair. It was just nice how everyone was, you could tell everyone had been making meringue. It was just a nice, uh, you know, a nice reference. The other thing I enjoyed about most about this challenge was just Ruby's quizzical brow during all of the judging. I've never seen such an agile face in my life. <laughs> I think I actually paused it on um, on just, just to make notes and she was just properly quizzical little puppy dog face. And I was like, oh, that's nice. <laughs> well, no Botox for no, Ruby there. I haven't been able to move my face for the last five years, Jane. <laughs> and you look better for it, Dan. Lovely. Thanks, babe. <laughs> It's a shame it doesn't freeze the mouth as well, isn't it? It's sad. <laughs> so the three things that the judges were looking for were a nice smooth custard, a fluffy and smooth meringue, and then some nice crispy spun sugar on top. And I think, do you think the judging was fair, everybody? Because we had Mark, Becca and Deborah down at the one end and then we had Ruby, Robert and Glenn up at the top with everybody else, including the lovely Howard there, right in the middle. So you, somebody said it was a bit of a mixed bag of judging. Well, I think, like, Glenn was the standout uh, winner to me. I think he did the best job. And he said at the start, I've made these before. I know what they are. I've done them before. So I don't think that was a huge surprise. Um, but, yeah, some of the others, you just sort of, I just wonder what was being weighted and what were they were mainly considering. I'm assuming the meringue was the most important part to them. I'm assuming the shaping. But how did you feel about it being there? Yeah, I, th I think the meringue was the most important part. I think 
you were marked down if your custard wasn't a particularly good custard. I don't think the sponge sugar seemed to have a huge weighting to uh, to the result, really. Because there wasn't a lot of particularly successful sponge sugars, which, as we said, it's no. a very hard skill to master, trying to work out at what point to start spinning. Um, but nobody seemed to be particularly marked down for it, I agree. I know. I remember just before they started judging, Mary said, I hope you all enjoyed that. I really like doing sponge sugar. I do it at my back door. So you think, I, I can't imagine what? how, you, yes, she must go outside to, to do, we, we got this this image of her standing in there. I presume she's got a little patio or something at the back where she does her sponge sugar. But... I've never made sponge sugar by my back door. Sounds dangerous. No. Where do you spin your sugar, Dan? Just in my kitchen. <laughs> Not on the patio. Oh, Mary, Mary God love her. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, going into the showstopper, we had, I believe, Ruby and Christine were in good places from what was mentioned. So, Howard, did you get any sense of how well you're doing within the competition? Because obviously you get Mary and Paul between the technical and the showstopper sitting down and saying, well, you know, Christine's doing well, you know, Becca's not doing very well, etc., etc. So did you ever get a sense of how well you were doing? Not really, although I did feel that I was not doing as well this week as, as perhaps I, uh, I well, as I wanted to. But then there, I must say, I must admit, there was a really weird thing at the beginning of this episode where it said that Becca and Howard scraped through last week. And it's like, no, what? <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't scrape through. That seemed a bit unfair. <laughs> I did fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was, well, it, it, it didn't match up with the kind of rankings from the previous week where it was quite clear that, Mark had had not done very well, and Rob hadn't done very well, and Becca, obviously. But I wasn't even in the ones in threat last week, so I don't know why that was put in. Becca and Howard scraped through. Probably just to create a bit more drama for when Deborah deliberately stole your custard, yeah. (laughs) It's, It's stealing custard foreshadowing. It's very dramatic. Well, going into our showstopper, we had a Petty Four challenge. We needed 24 Petty Fours, saying that's a lot, with 12 biscuit-based Petty Fours and 12 sponge-based Petty Fours uh, with a three-hour challenge. Now, Howard, these, your Petty Fours, very different in the fact that yours were the only savoury ones, and we have done them in classes at Baker of the Legend quite a few times. I think yours looked really nice, and I loved the idea of... It being after dinner. So what do you have after dinner? Coffee, cheese and biscuits. I really, really liked the idea. And I didn't I don't think those pairs looked like onion rings. I disagree. I thought they didn't, yeah. They absolutely did. I thought they were onion rings. (laughs) (laughs) They so did look like onion rings. I loved it. I loved it, Howard. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was I, I, it's, it's one of the best lines though isn't it I, um, I'm, I'm doing I'm doing a pretty four based on cheese and biscuits it's basically a cheesy biscuit what on earth does that mean <laughs> just what you said it was perfect 
Well, no, because you're going to be much more sensitive to what you say than any of us. I mean, it made perfect sense. It's a nice cheesy biscuit with some stuff on it. I think think it was. It it sets um, it off. Howard often has quite a withering expression at the end of his sentences. And yeah, when you say things like that, it just, yeah. It just tickles me so much. I thought they looked lovely, Howard. And I was very sad that uh, I think it was um, Mary said that your copy ones were bitter. What was that about? I think because they were, it was it was quite a dark chocolate. It's a kind of dark chocolate ganache, and it had got espresso coffee in it. So it was a kind of intensely coffee flavored uh, chocolate ganache. And then you've got the sponge, which is cardamom i think i'd slightly overbake them by this point i'm thinking oh just let me go for goodness sake <laughs> you were not enjoying this well, one, I, Howard, no i thought your say. cheese and onion ones looked amazing <laughs> <laughs> sorry howard i'll leave you alone now i promise <laughs> well we had a lot of really really fancy fancy bakes here so many french names of desserts i've never heard before i've never seen so many hyperlinks on a wikipedia page linking to all the different types of cake we had i can't even read it like canales and bouchies and financiers and all these wonderful wonderful things freons freons i'd love a freons yes sure sounds great (laughs) because i'm not good on french like for example like petty four i know what petty means that means little what's four Oven. oven. Oh, is it? Okay, yeah. there you go. <laughs> because like the, a little bake, yeah. It yeah, is. Yeah. It was the stuff that was baked at the end of the day once the ovens had started to cool down. You just put these in right at the end and the residual heat will cook them because you eat them at the end of the day. Oh, come through with the knowledge, Sarah. Not just a pretty face. Not just a pretty face. <laughs> she's, no, she she's very, very good on these things. <laughs> well, uh, let's talk about Frances for a moment. She really came through on the style, but then also on the substance with her nutcracker-themed little petty fours, uh, ballet bites, ginger nutcrackers, and her little sugar plum fairy cakes. What did we think of those? I, I thought they were gorgeous. They're absolutely gorgeous. I think it was one of those recipes that was actually included in, in the book for our, our year. And the amount of work that goes into them is just incredible. So they're not an easy bake to do. It's uh, really, really impressive. Yeah, I thought it was also nice that they complemented each other. That's one of the, the feedbacks they got. They said they worked well with each other, which is actually, if you're going to be making you know two desserts, I mean... Go you. I usually only make one at a time, to be honest. Um, but if you're going to make two desserts and they complement each other nicely, then that's a really good thing. Or a mistake that people often make is if you have a couple of desserts, you know, if you eat something strong tasting before you eat something delicate tasting, it kind of ruins the other one. Um, so I thought it was like a nice balance that uh, that she made those. Um, I thought rubies, what really blew my mind was rubies. Little, they look like sort of shell madeleine sort of sandwiched with something and they looked gorgeous. They did look absolutely gorgeous, didn't they? I thought that was the cleverest thing in all of them, actually. I really, really liked the look of that. I don't know what the base was, because it was hollow, wasn't it? Because she put in a raspberry curd and other stuff and then topped it off with the chocolate. So I don't know what they what, what they were. Again, we don't get enough information, but one assume it was a biscuit. Maybe she used a, a small madeleine tin to make biscuits in in the shape of a shell i don't know but i thought it was inspired 
I believe it was a shortbread. I've got shortbread written in my notes, which, which might be wrong, but I believe it was. It was one of those things that looked beautifully simple, but not simplistic. You know, it was just gorgeously classic. I mean, that's what um, I believe Paul said right at the beginning of the challenge. Get your bake well made and then go to town on the flavours and the decoration. But you need a good basic bake underneath. And that's something she really hit the brief with. Mm, she's really, really good. I mean, I, I, it's sad that we didn't hear enough about Rob's, actually, because they said his almond frions were delicious. And his Turon macaroons, they did put a two O's in there on the spelling. His Turon macaron were not shiny on the top and they expected precision. But Turon, I'm not sure what Turon is, but I know when my daughter comes back for Christmas from Spain, she very often brings Turon, which is, it's like a nougat. It's, it's a funny sort of nutty nougat-y thing. Nobody explained any of that, did they? They just called them Turon macaroon, macaroons and um, they were lacking the expected precision. And I think, oh, is, the, is the editing better these days? I think the editing on our season explained everyone's bake before the thing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an odd omission, but I expect that as next week, I just, spoiler alert, um, we'll have a few less people next next week, then maybe we'll get to see more, hopefully. Maybe, I hope so. I think it's definitely starting to shift towards slightly more fancy things that need slightly more explanation. Because you look back at series one, there was very little explanation needed for what we were baking. Season two, maybe a little bit more season three, season four now, we, we need that more explanation. So I think the editing in future episodes and in future series will start to just be a little bit more thorough, really. Now, on that, I'm looking at Kimberly's. Uh, what were those silver balls? It looked like she'd got bits of something wrapped in, in tinfoil. Yeah, I'm not sure that was a... I don't know what I'm they were. I'm not sure that was a great success, actually. I think there was something like blueberries that she'd literally, rather than gilded them, used silver leaf on. But they did look a bit, bit tinfoily, yeah. They did look very tinfoily, and she looked awfully upset when Mary said uh, her financiers were not improved by the topping. She looked saddened. But I think silver, silver leaf is very common. Um, Anthony used it on our season, and it's quite common in Indian baking to use silver leaf, presumably because it's significantly cheaper, but still gives it a bit of the old razzle-dazzle. Um, but I've never really seen silver leaf. I mean, I haven't sorted it out, but gold leaf seems to be everywhere, and silver leaf, much, much less common. Yeah, but it wasn't smooth on, I, you know, gold leaf goes on quite nice and smooth, doesn't it? Well, I mean, if you can get it on there at all. Uh, but that looked that looked like it was rough and ready and, and foil and no comment was made about it. I mean, not that I noticed anyway. I believe I've already told you my trick to get a nice smooth covering on something round. And that's to lay the sheet on some water and then drop the thing into it, like if it's a nut or whatever. And then it, it sort of pushes, the water pushes it onto onto the uh, the fruit so that can work but yeah if it, the thing is if it's not neat i think that the, any kind of leaf can just look a little bit not so beautiful a bit like poor glenn said in this little interview just before they started judging it was like gold leaf everywhere gold leaf on my hands gold leaf floating away with my chances of being star baker i'm really <laughs> enjoying glenn's little narrations as he yeah. goes through yeah. he's yeah. absolutely delightfully yeah, funny. He's very funny isn't he? he is he is 
thank you everybody for sending in all your questions as you do every week please let us know any questions you want answering on the podcast we have Jane Howard and Dan here all ready to answer your questions we have a question here you guys from Amy in Minnesota and she wants to know about a question on bread week Uh, She said the bakers were using a lot of different flours in bread week. I'm familiar with baking with wheat flour, but how does baking with speciality flour like rye or spelt differ? Who wants to start off with that one then? Well, I'll have a go. Well, I use a little bit of rye, actually. And I never do a complete rye loaf because the trouble with rye is, or not the trouble, it's delicious. It doesn't have a huge amount of gluten in it. So you don't get the structure that you would with a nice wheat loaf with its gluten in. So if you were shaping a loaf with a lot of rye, you really do need a tin because otherwise it sort of goes bleh in a big blob. So you do have trouble with with the structure. That's very, very educational, (laughs) that big blur. Um, We like that. But it does. It sort of ends up looking like a sort of big flat pancake-y type thing. So I would say if you're using rye in a loaf, I very often will do 450 grams of white and then throw in 50 grams of rye and then you can have quite a nice structure but you still get the nuttiness from the rye. I've never made a pure rye loaf and I don't, have I used spelt? I'm not sure. In my year we had to make a loaf with three different types of flowers and for the life of me I can't remember the three different flowers I used. Probably one of them was rye but but however I would have used the different flowers, I would have used it as a very small proportion just so that I had the control that a good wheat flour with plenty of gluten gives me. Uh, Dan's probably knows much more than me. No, I'm I, I, very similar. I do make a rye. I went through a phase where I made a lot of sourdough and you can make a rye sour, which is sort of like a, similar like a rye sourdough starter. And that's very sort of nutty and has a very deep flavour. But even then, I wouldn't use 100% rye for the same reasons as you. It just gets very, very heavy. Um, I do use spelt quite a lot, actually. Again, it's only 50%. It's half wheat, half spelt. And a spelt and linseed loaf or flaxseed loaf, um, which is particularly delicious, which I my family love, especially in the winter with soup. Uh, so I do make that quite a bit. Um, but I never make with just all specialty flours. It tends to be a wheat blend. I think, Howard, you probably know more about leaving out wheat than anyone. So do you have something to say? Do, do I have to say? <laughs> <laughs> I have made uh, in our season. I think it was a week that I didn't get to. I'd got a recipe for for an all spelt loaf because we had to use non wheat flours. And uh, again, similar to rye, it affects the structure of it. The fact that it's it's not got the same kind of gluten content that um, a standard wheat flour would have. So if you're not careful, um, what uh, Jane was talking about earlier about the kind of flop. It it does that, so you really need something like a tin to give it give it structure. But yes, I I also quite like to use a little bit of rye in pastry as well. If you are doing something like a nice savoury bake, like a, a kind of hominy pie or a, a salmon pie or something like that, that little bit of of rye gives it a lovely kind of nutty flavour in the pastry as well. But I'd never I'd never use all rye. Oh, I've never tried it in pastry. I must no. give it a go. Actually, never it's occurred to nice. me. And this is a question from me based on Amy's question there. Thank you, Amy, for that lovely question. Are there any flowers that you guys really want to bake with? Any sort of slightly odd or really speciality kind of left field flowers that you guys really want to bake with? 
I think there are a lot of historic grains. Like einkorn is probably the most famous one um, that you get only from sort of specialty places. But I just have, it's one of those things I've never quite got round to doing. I know that it has sort of an interesting flavour, but I'm quite, to be honest, spelt for me is quite exotic. So I haven't really explored much. <laughs> okay, in the, origi- in the original recipe, I think for my slightly limp Moroccan breadsticks, that it got a bit of einkorn in, in that. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I do like like to in, include unusual flowers. Chestnut flower is really nice as well. A uh, little bit of that in either in a mince pie pastry or the French use it a lot in bread, just adding a little bit of chestnut in with the wheat. Oh, is, that in a mince pie sounds amazing. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I've got some down. I've got some downstairs in the kitchen. I've never. Have you got chestnut flour? I have got some chestnut flour. I don't remember why I bought it. Actually, <laughs> I don't really. You know how you do. You you, you look at something and Ooh. you think, oh yes, I want to go at that, and then you order it from wherever you order it from. It turns up, and you never get around to using it. But yeah. So what would you do, Howard? Proportionally, just I'd I'd probably have. So let's think. If you're having about a hundred grams of plain flour i'd probably put 25 grams of chestnut flour something like that in with it yeah okay well i'll give it a go actually it does sound nice i must admit with mince pies and and anything even an apple pie would be quite Mm. nice that sort of autumn flavors of chestnut and apple and cinnamon oh i'll dig it out if the weevils (laughs) the weevils haven't got you got the baker in me all excited (laughs) yes yeah (laughs) who knew a conversation about flour could get so exciting thank you Thank you very much, Amy, definitely for that question. Well, we are coming to the end of our episode now. So before we talk about who was Starbaker and who left, I think it's only right that we talk about our next bake-along class. Now, Howard, this one is yours, I believe. Could you tell us a little bit about what you will be baking for us? Yeah, so we're doing we're doing Pity Four, but as you mentioned earlier, we're not doing the Pity Four that I actually did on the show. We've done that class before. So I thought I'll do something, something completely different. And I wanted to do, thinking a little bit about Bird's Trifle and <laughs> happy, happy memories of, of, of the past. We're going a bit retro with our pity for us. So I thought we have after, after dinner mints and something called matchmakers, which are like a little stick. So I thought we'd do some te- tempered chocolate work. So we're going to do an, an after dinner chocolate mint cake with a little bit of a tempered chocolate square on top and then we're going to do some tempered chocolate uh, matchsticks as well oh very nice oh i like the idea sticking with the after dinner theme then but um i'm slightly yes. disappointed you didn't make any cheese and onion ones because i was getting quite excited about that <laughs> we'll make some cheese and onion matchsticks for you dan we'll send them over to you perfect <laughs> so that sounds fantastic howard so if anybody is wanting to get some skills about learning how to temper chocolate something that is very tricky that will be a key piece of our recipe with Howard's After Dinner Chocolate Petit Fours. Now you can join us at this class on the 19th of March, that's a Sunday, and that will be at five o'clock UK time. Uh, Now there is a slight time difference for you guys in the States. This class with Howard will be at 10am Pacific time, 
12 midday central time and one o'clock eastern time and still five o'clock in the UK. So please do come along to that class. It's going to be very, very chocolatey and uh, it's going to be a really good one. We've had some very good classes so far with our series for Bake Along and we're looking forward to a few more. At the end of every week we have to say goodbye to somebody but we do get to award star baker first and this week our star baker was of course christine she had a fantastic trifle she did very very well in the technical challenge uh, coming fourth which is very respectable and then her 99ers in brandy snap cones and her little sacerdote parcels all had absolutely fantastic comments from the judges. So I think very well received, do we all think? I think she, she looked genuinely surprised, didn't she? We always sort of take bets, don't we, on who's going to go through or who's not going to go through and all this sort of stuff. And sometimes it's hard to hard to work it out at the end. But I think this week, yeah, I would have picked Christine as going through. Uh, and yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't know if she was going to win, but I wanted Christine to win. But that might be because I knew that Ruby and Francis were going to get a lot further in the show. So I sort of wanted Christine to win because I knew that she'd done well. And I'm glad she did. I didn't remember that she'd won this week. I'm not quite the Bake Off historian that you are, Sarah. That's a compliment, I assure you. I know, I take it as one. <laughs> but yeah, no, I thought it was well-deserved. And I loved her cones. Um, and I thought that a moulder her husband, that very questionably shaped mould her husband had made for her, was wonderful. Like, it did the job perfectly. Do you remember Rashika in a later season tried making brandy snacks? cones and hers were nowhere near as successful she needed one of those things that uh, christine's husband made she didn't have the cone she no, didn't, she have, didn't the have the cone it's a great idea though wasn't it does he do wood, wood turning he must do wood turning as a hobby or something her husband my father had a lathe as a hobby he used to do wood turning yeah he would have made things like that yeah a big shout out to all the uh, bake-off spouses and partners throughout the years who've made some fantastic cake guillotines all sorts of things you know brandy snap cone shapers all the things that you guys have all made uh for for the partners and spouses on the bake-off yeah my husband used to make biscuit cutters out of roses or quality street tins when they were of metal which they're in plastic now aren't they <laughs> good old ray he's a good chap i thought it was a bit of a shame for glenn because i think he did pretty well in the trifle challenge came first in the uh, in the technical and it was just one of his uh, pretty four that was unsuccessful the ones that paul said were more like truffles and the shortbread wasn't great if he just managed to do a bit better on on that i think he could have been in line for starbaker Mm, yeah, because he uh, and didn't get his gold leaf on top of his kumquat slices. Yeah, I felt yeah, I felt sorry for him, but you know, I, frankly, I was always just grateful to get through to the next week. <laughs> True, but I I do think though, and this was my attitude going to Bake Off is I knew that I, I I was very unlikely to win it. Just statistically, you're very unlikely to win it. But I think if you can be Star Baker, that's something that you can have and be happy about. So I, I wish yeah. that we could all be Star Bakers. You know, that would be lovely. But yeah, I don't know if Glenn ever did ever did win no, Star Baker, but didn't. no, um, oh, did he not? Sad. Oh. Um, but I thought Christine was deserved. I like Christine. And also, she's made some spectacular things that haven't really been featured in the episodes. So I feel like uh, she deserved a, a shining moment. Yes, I absolutely agree. I've met her as well. And she's absolutely lovely. I really like Christine. So, 
knowing her now the, like I didn't know then, um, yes, I'm delighted she won too. But unfortunately, we did have to send two people home this week. The downside of having a baker's dozen in the tent. And unfortunately, this week, it was Deborah and Mark. Deborah did not start off great, obviously, with the Custard Gate incident. And she was rather low down the pack in the technical, coming ninth. And then she really did lose all the fluting on her little cakes as well. And Mark as well not the best challenges for him so I think possibly quite fair that they were the ones to go home but they just clearly had a bad week yeah well one doesn't know how to make custard and the other only knows how to steal custard <laughs> so I think it was a fair decision <laughs> Ooh, just, a joke. just a joke so <laughs> mean I was going for the slightly more diplomatic approach, but thanks, Dan. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get them both in as uh, as guests when we review They'll... Dan's series, and then they can get their They'll own They'll rake back. me over the coals. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we'd better leave it there before Dan comes for anybody else in the Bake Off. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, as ever, Jane, Dan and Howard, for joining us today talking about Dessert Week. And next week, we will be having the fantastic Pies and Tarts Week which, of course, will come with one of our Bake Along classes, but we will talk about that next week. We hope to see you all at Howard's Fantastic Chocolate Petty Fours class. Just a reminder again, that's on Sunday, the 19th of March. So you can head on over to our website, bakewithalegend.com, and have a look at our upcoming classes. Please keep giving us your questions. We love to hear all your questions. You can send them to us at social media. We are at Bake With A Legend at all platforms, or you can email us, thebakedown at bakewithalegend.com. See you very soon, everybody. Bye-bye. You just heard a stripped media production. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 